Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Salentano, our business editor, and Sharp Smith, our technology editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. Our Q4 issue is being worked on, and it's coming out soon. An annual subscription includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit InsideTowers.com intelligence. Sharp, you went to a show this week. You want to talk about that? Yes, I did, Leslie, and uh, uh, went to the uh, the 10th annual uh, South Wireless Summit uh, held in uh, in Nashville, and I've uh, I've attended several of these. Uh, they're they're always very good. Um, they have uh, really high quality sessions, uh, uh, big name speakers, and uh, also I think uh, with the uh, the thing that sets that sets the South Wireless Summit apart is that they they uh, they understand that uh, uh, a big portion of the the equation of why people come to a conference is to uh, is to network and uh, and see their friends. So they 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 put aside ample time for uh, uh, such pursuits as skeet shooting. And yeah, there were a couple of socials. There was a um, uh, music in motion concert, and uh, so there was a lot of a lot of excitement. I think uh, people normally uh, just enjoy getting together, uh, and there's there's no no such thing as a as a, a wireless uh, conference that that you don't feel that. But uh, but uh, there there's quite a strong buzz going on in the industry, and. Uh, uh, you can definitely feel it there. They had 800 people signed up to come, uh, 20 speakers, uh, sold out exhibit area, 40 exhibitors. Uh, so uh, very, uh, very good investment of time. And uh, for the newsletter, I covered uh, Todd Schleckaway's uh, session, and uh, he's the uh, president and CEO of, of Nate. And uh, he spoke about something which I thought was uh, uh, was a really big deal for uh, for the association. You know, they've been working on getting these tower technician training programs going on in, in the different uh, uh, universities, and uh, it's been going, I guess, going well. But uh, uh, they finally developed a uh, curriculum uh, that they could package and market to the universities, to the colleges, you know, technical colleges and uh, vo uh, vo vocational uh, places like that. And, uh, uh, and they're, uh, in May, uh, they're, they're going to launch the, uh, the curriculum at three different 
institutions in Ohio. And it's the Vanguard Sentinel Career and Tech Center and the North Central State College and Hawking College. Um, and uh, all, in, all in Ohio, which uh, is really interesting. Ohio has become the, a hotbed of, uh, of training for the wireless industry. And uh, uh, they're going to be uh, using that as sort of a case study as to how they want to, uh, to roll this out nationwide. And uh, Todd Schleckaway talked about how this is really a uh, really a turning point as far as as uh, their momentum in terms of of getting uh, tower tech technician training out into uh, the the colleges, and uh, I think he feels like they're they're ready to roll it out nationwide, and uh, so. So that was that was really good news, you know, to hear about that. And uh, another session that uh, will uh, my write up will come out on uh, on Monday is uh, the tower the tower panel uh, presented by Vogue Towers, and it had a it had a really great lineup. It had Tony Sabatino, who's with Diamond, Todd Rowley, who's with the Strategic Wireless Infrastructure Fund Management Group. Um, the new uh, president and chief operating officer of Vertical Bridge, Ron Bizick, uh, formerly of Tarpon, and Dave Mayo uh, from DISH. And uh, so uh, pretty, oh, I'm sorry, Bob Page uh, also with, uh, with Vertical Bridge. So that was a, that was a pretty high power uh, lineup. And uh, I think the, uh, the really good news that came out of that panel uh, was that in terms of uh, tower leasing and tower building, um, the tower industry has uh, has really moved from a from a, a period of time where they what they were pretty slow from 2014 to 2019, and uh, for you know I'd say the third year in a row that that uh, that growth has really picked up, and uh, and they predicted that uh, it will. It will stay uh, uh, growing for the next uh, two or three years, uh, and uh, then they talked a lot about why, where the growth is, and uh, you know, it has to do with C-band, and it has to do with uh, with uh, Dish Network, and um, it has to do with uh, uh, with a lot of of uh, modifications and upgrades. And uh, and you know really rolling out the uh, the massive MIMO uh, antennas that are going to be so important to 5G. So it was really it was really all good news. And uh, uh, also uh, uh, Mayo was uh, there to uh, uh, to confirm that uh, the dish is uh, still on track to uh, to make its. 20% uh, coverage milestone in the middle of June and the 70% coverage goal that's set for mid 2023. And that's something that's really important because they have to, uh, they have to make these, these goals or the FCC will, uh, I'm not sure uh, they could pump, they have the ability to take the spectrum back. Uh, and uh, so uh, I don't think anybody uh, is at DISH is going to risk uh, some type of punishment, whether it was 
the, that, that draconian or uh, monetary, whatever it is. Uh, so uh, knowing that they're on time and basically they're, I'd say the, the news out of there is that they're keeping their heads down and they're, they're getting, getting the work done and, and the system's going to be rolled out. So that's, uh, that's really positive news for the, for the infrastructure industry. So uh, on the whole, I'd say, I'd say it was really, uh, really an, an upbeat panel and, and, uh, and good news for the tower industry. You know, I was watching the stream and at the end, one of the organizers said, if you lost a wedding ring, either on purpose or by accident, please come up to the front and I'll return it. You know, if they ever returned it, somebody, it was, somebody had lost a wedding ring in the lobby or something. Jeez. Damn, I've been wondering where my, where my wedding ring was. I didn't even hear that. I think we found it. Yeah, right. <laughs> wow. I know that was real. I was like, what? <laughs> but I'm sorry, John, I stepped on you. You were going to say it's probably something more relevant to the wireless infrastructure industry. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I could follow that one up. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, you were. You, uh, you were going to talk about Huawei. They're not doing so hot, are they? Well, Huawei, you know, it's uh, been in the news uh, quite a bit uh, for a lot of negative reasons. Um, as we know, as we reported on, they're on the um, they're on the list, and uh, um, you know, they've been essentially banned from uh, the a lot of mobile carriers in this country and other countries have essentially banned Huawei from uh, in installing its equipment in their networks, uh, ostensibly for um, security reasons. But um, no, Huawei reported uh, its uh, year-end 2021 results recently, and I took a look at them and uh, uh, some interesting findings, uh, and I thought there might be of some surprise to our readers. By the way, I want to I want to disclose I visited Huawei in Shenzhen, China. Uh, I went to their headquarters back in 2000 on a consulting assignment. I uh, was very well received and uh, was uh, fairly impressed with the state of the art of their R&D and manufacturing facilities. And, you know, at this point, I really hold no opinion one way or the other as to um, these uh, issues that uh, are being raised at uh, governmental levels uh, with, with the company uh, and different countries around the world. But um you know, in 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 covering what they they are saying about their performance, we you know, 2021 was a down year for them. In fact, their gross sales, their total sales, dropped 29 uh, percent from the year before. So they reported uh, total sales around 99, say rounded up to 100 billion dollars uh, U.S. for uh, for 2021. That's down from 140 billion the year before. But the decline, uh, where that decline comes from, will probably be a surprise to a lot of people. Um, they're essentially the biggest telecom and information communications equipment manufacturer in the world. Their carrier sales alone, uh, out of the hundred billion, were forty-four billion. And that compares to Ericsson and Nokia, which are the other two leading telecom equipment manufacturers in the world, of twenty-six and twenty-five billion, respectively. So. Huawei is really a, a giant in in this field. 
But, you know, most of their their money comes from their home market in China. About two thirds of their revenue is derived from China. And it's in China that they actually have the biggest decline. Um, you know, if you compare uh, the two thirds that they derive from China to roughly 20 percent from uh, Europe, the Middle East and Africa and another eight percent from Asia Pacific, you know, the Americas only make up a five percent of their total revenues. So uh, basically, their business is, is in China. They managed to become a global supplier by you know, deploying their networks and equipment in emerging uh, economies, uh, developing economies, uh, in, in second or third tier markets in, in uh, other uh, Western uh, countries and, and in the Americas, for instance, in the United States. They were not able to crack the, the top three, the tier one um, mobile network operators, but they did manage to gain some success among the regional carriers um, that are now the subject of the rip and replace programs. But what happened with, with their sales between uh, 2020 and 2021 is that um, they actually uh, experienced a um, about a 30% decline in the China market. Now they, they you know, put on a happy face and and offered a, a short explanation without qualifying it too much that, um, you know, their carrier business uh, maintained steady operations with the continued 5G rollouts by their, their big three uh, mobile operator customers, China Mobile, China Telecom, and China Unicom, who have all aggressively undertaken 5G deployments over the past several years. Uh, we think that that deployment activity is slowing as they reach some kind of level of completion. Um, and that's the, a big chunk of, of, um, of, of Huawei's revenues in China. Uh, its enterprise business is growing uh, uh, nicely uh, as different in industries modernize and upgrade their operations to digital. But it's really in the consumer business. You know, Huawei is a big manufacturer of, of smartphones and, and handheld devices that they sell to the marketplace. Uh, you know, they, they provide the complete ecosystem of everything from, uh, from uh, uh, phones to network equipment, but it's in the consumer business that they really took a hit. Um, that, uh, uh, that dropped about 50% from one year to the next. And, and we think it's because uh, they may have flooded the market with uh, the uh, low cost 5G phones in, in 2020, uh, because they now say that they're focused on the lower volume, high value, what they call premium quality, uh, consumer groups uh, that, that resulted in a, a significant drop in their sales volume from one year to the next. So, um, you know, all that we hear about Huawei, we have to understand, you know, what their their real business is and where they really get their money from. Uh, this all this talk about the risks they pose in in carrier networks in in foreign markets. I think, uh, you know, I, I, it is what it is. I, I you know, but um, uh, in the whole scheme of things, I think it's a minor portion of, uh, of, of Huawei's business. And uh, and uh, really, they, they have more more on their plate just dealing in the China market than anywhere else. So so we're going to continue to follow it. It's an interesting story. Uh, uh, it's an interesting company. Uh, and we'll see. Um, we'll see where it goes. But um, I, I was a little bit intrigued with. Uh, with uh, their results and uh, and the fact that they took such a hit, uh, especially in their home market. Interesting. Yeah.
Yeah, very interesting. Um, so on Capitol Hill this week, there was the first FCC oversight hearing in about a year and a half, the House Commerce Subcommittee. Several of the Democrats congratulated Jessica Rosenworcel for being named permanent chair. And um, they said they hope that the Democratic nominee, Gigi Sohn, is confirmed soon by the Senate as the fifth commissioner. It was a, you know, even keeled hearing, no, no giant sparks because the commission hasn't been working on anything controversial for the past year. Um, ranking member Bob Latta, Republican of Ohio, asked Rosenworcel about the timing of the uh, broadband coverage maps. Those are key because NTIA is going to use those maps to distribute um, $42.5 billion in broadband infrastructure grants. He said that she told the Senate in March of 2020, the agency could improve the maps within six months, but now he says, it says providers have been asked to submit their coverage information to the FCC by September 1. So she was explaining to him that back then she was talking about the rural digital opportunity program maps and um, those were different. The broadband coverage maps, she said, are gonna come out in the fall. Um, she said the, uh, the agency has been working to really get its ducks in a row. It brought in a data systems expert to set up a broadband. It's a location fabric, basically that's software. The, uh, but then the company, the FCC chose to create the maps was challenged. So they had to stop work for a hundred days. And then the GAO said, no, they're fine. So then they, they ginned up work again. And now she said 2,500 carriers will share data with the FCC beginning in June. Um, and she was telling Tom O'Halloran, a Democrat from Arizona, vendors will test the maps then, and then states, localities, and tribes will review them, and they'll tell the carriers and the FCC what they think about the maps. So it, that work is progressing. Brett Guthrie, a Republican from Kentucky, he asked about rip and replace. He wanted to know if the $3.7 billion shortfall is real. And the Rosenworcel said they're still assessing that because they got 181 applications um, and they should have a real answer by June 15th. But in the short term, she gave three reasons for the huge disparity in the need and the want. Um, you know, Congress set up a $1.9 billion fund, but that was on a voluntary basis and companies that had never applied for FCC reimbursement did so this time. So they got a much bigger pool. Second, Congress expanded the program from carriers that had up to 1 million customers to carriers with 10 million or fewer customers. And then thirdly, you know, she said it's not uncommon for applicants to ask for things that are not actually not provided for in the law. So um, to me, the map timing was the biggest news out of that, that hearing. Leslie, this seems to keep rolling uh, and changing. I mean, are we, are we seeing maps? some resolution? Well, the maps, the funding, you know. Um, oh, rip and replace, yeah. Rip and replace. Well, even the RDRF uh, programs, you know, oh, that are dependent yeah. on the maps. Uh, it seems like... Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of jostling going on and it's and it stretches the timeline. I'm wondering, uh, you know, are, are we looking at, you know, midsummer or late this year uh, that this will get resolved and then the actual funding 
and implementation will, will, will get underway? Are you getting a sense of how that's evolving? Well, the maps, you're right. It's a moving target. Um, they, they start getting information from the providers in June, but they don't, the deadline isn't until September 1. So, and when the maps come out that fall, she hasn't given an exact date. Those won't be the final maps. Those will be, okay, this is what we did as of this. And then the states and the localities, the tribes, they all have to look at the maps, talk to the carriers, talk to the FCC. Here's where we see issues. This part's okay. This part maybe is not okay. To me, that all shakes out to the maps probably won't be finalized till the end of the year, if then, and then maybe funding will be 2023. Yeah. You know, actually, yeah, that's how I see it rolling out. Because yeah. the maps are a moving target. Yeah. What confuses but, me is I'm not sure what they're doing differently this time, because weren't, weren't the, the maps previously based on what the carriers claimed their coverage was? And, yes. and we all figured out or someone knowledgeable figured out that the, the carriers weren't being exactly truthful. So aren't we going back to the well and expecting to find a different kind of water? They apparently didn't standardize their, the request to the carriers before. They didn't ask the carriers to give them all the same information in the same way. That's what's different. Now all the carriers have a guideline. This is what you need to tell us and in this way so they can compare apples to apples. Mm -hmm. And you're right about how the maps were out of whack before. She even said um, the old maps, and she was, this was during a discussion of the RDOF, she said the old maps included things like the parking lot at the LA airport and the parking lot at the Pentagon. I mean, <laughs> so as not having, you know, as, as counting as a household with service. I mean, so yeah, no. <laughs> so yeah, they're a mess. They've been a mess for a while. Yeah. And then it was dumped in the FCC's lap. Well, you have to fix the maps. And, and, and we have to remember too, they're doing this with limited amount of people and limited budget. They, she had, when she came in as chairwoman, she had to put together a team to work on this specifically. So, and it's a government budget. I mean, yeah. Well, we've covered third party uh, companies that, that will, that promise to provide uh, maps, coverage maps uh, that do so for, on a private basis. Was there ever any conversation about giving this to a, a third party that might be, um, disinterested uh, a disinterested party in this in this process they did they chose one and i can't remember off the top of my head who they chose but the second place company that didn't like that it wasn't chosen and fought them and the gao finally looked at what the fcc did and we reported on this gosh i want to say within the last couple of weeks and they they said um yes the fcc 
checked all the right boxes when it chose this first company. And because I think that the challengers were saying, well, this company says they can do the maps, but they really don't have the expertise. And the, the GAO said, no, they really do have the expertise. So, um, but they had to stop work for a hundred days while this challenge process worked its way through. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so a third company is working on the maps. It's not all the FCC. Is that company working with the carriers? Yes. How did, okay. And how does that work? I don't know. That isn't transparent. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. But, but it's being done in a different way than it had been in the past. That's the overall thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're trying to fix it and hopefully they will because a lot of money rests on the location maps. So, yeah. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, um, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. We will see you in a week. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.